that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lee Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Talk to Ryan Day and what, four players? Zach Harrison, Nicholas Petit Frere, Haskell Garrett, Chris Olave, right? Were the four guys we got. They said we get captains. Taraja Mitchell's a captain. He doesn't start anymore. And Cam Babb's a captain. He doesn't play because he's hurt. So we got those four guys, no assistance. But we did talk about Ohio State, Michigan. And this happens. It's always interesting. I told Clay Hall from Channel 6 in Columbus that I thought he asked a good new question. He was asking about what's it like in the tunnel before the game? Because actually, the Big Ten journey just retweeted some video this week from 2013 where it's like the visiting where the visitor visitors come out in Michigan stadium. They come out into the same tunnel to enter the field where the Michigan home locker room is. So you can get a crossover there on this journey video from 2013. They're just screaming at each other, barking at each other, doing all this stuff. And, and so Clay was asking, you know, Hey, what's it like in the tunnel? And Ryan Davis were like, Oh man, you're saying all kinds of stuff, but it got, does get hard at some point to come up with new like Michigan, Ohio State week stories because they've kind of all been done to some degree. And I, it is a little bit harder in a world where like, and this is no offense to Ryan Day, but like you can tell. I might, I'm not, I might, I don't want to start. This is not negative. It's just realistic. I'm from the East Coast. I guess Pennsylvania is the East Coast, but I didn't grow up in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. And if you said to me, what is your favorite memory from the Ohio state Michigan rivalry when you were going up? I would be like, I don't know. Like, I know it's important, but like, I didn't base my life around the Ohio state Michigan game. It was just another game on a Saturday in November. That's no offense to anybody, but you like watched your local team and your local team plays every Saturday. So I get it. And it's a national game. I get it. It's important, but I don't remember anything. And you can tell when Ryan day answers questions about his childhood, he's very generic. He's like, oh, it's the biggest game. I mean, of course, it's like I'm not saying that Ryan Day is lying, but it's like Urban Meyer would be like, oh, one time I was at the mall with my mom when I was eight and over the PA, they said, Woody Hayes, just what, you know, like Urban Meyer was steeped in it, lived it. And Ryan Day grew up in New Hampshire. He was watching. He cared about UNH Dartmouth or whatever. I don't know. So it's just a little bit of a different thing. It doesn't mean Ryan Day shouldn't be the head coach. It doesn't mean Ryan Day is not prepared. He cried after they beat. Michigan in 2019, because he was so happy to do this for the Buckeyes and Buckeye Nation. But it makes the game prep a little less. But I will also say this. I listened to Jim Harbaugh's new conference from news conference from Monday, my drive back while I was eating wings, while I was driving, had it on, plugged it into my whatever radio thing. Jim Harbaugh, Nathan, talks about this game like it's a science test. And I understand that coaches and players like aren't there to do the media's job. But it aggravates me a little bit when people act like sports aren't fun. This is fun. I'm not looking. We're not talking about bulletin board material. But, man, it's just like, so you have a guy on one side who absolutely lived it. He guaranteed a win 35 years ago. But he won't act like he lived it. He, he doesn't act like it's exciting. He acts like it's a science test. And then you have a guy on the other side who didn't live it. And therefore can't tell stories, right? It's about, okay, it's going to be a great game. It is going to be a great game. But I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, on behalf of the fans, it's going to be up to us, Nathan, to like bring out some juice in this thing because like this is a big time game. And 
I didn't get a ton of juice from either side listening to him talk the last two days. Well, on the Michigan side of things, they've put themselves in a tough spot. Harbaugh's put himself in a tough spot as far as now trying to affect some like genuine passion for this game. Yeah. The way on the Ohio State side of things, it's very over the top. Someone like me, who is a little bit of cynic about that stuff, rolls his eyes at, at some of this stuff, like the idea that you can't wear can't wear blue in the facility or you know, all that stuff. Like, okay, whatever. That's what they've got to do to get themselves up and take this seriously. I, I don't feel it for myself, but as over the top as that is, it feels genuine. Like it's been yes. steeped here for so long. They completely buy into it. It's year round. It's been happening now here for we're into the third coaching cycle that this has been going on. It is an I part of the identity of this program. And now when Jim Harbaugh seven years into this, all of a sudden starts to try to tack some of that onto his preparation for this game, it feels very contrived. It feels very phony. And it's maybe not phony. I'm just saying what it feels like from the outside. That, And I'm, I'm curious how, you know, if players in the program maybe are buying into it more, but I don't expect it to be an immediate result where you, can, you can't just go from zero to 60. I think it's got to be uh, something that's built over time and it, it, Michigan's taking the steps to get there, but it may be too late. I also just think Ohio State's been at 60 for so long that you just kind of are used to it being at 60. So you can say stuff like, oh, there's no juice with it. It doesn't feel like it's and part of it. Also, yeah, Ryan Day's not I, from I here. Say, and it's, I didn't say there's no juice with the game. I said there wasn't much juice to the news conference. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The, the, the news conference. And part of it. it it's been a while since Ohio State hasn't had a coach who didn't have Ohio ties. So that is going to be a little weird to not be in a situation where when you ask the head coach about, like, what, John Cooper was the last time? And, I mean, we see how that played out, but it's played out differently. It's, it's just going to be take some getting used to to when you ask Ryan Day about this rivalry, it's going to seem generic, even if he's not. He's being genuine in what he says. But I do agree with Nathan that Michigan's got to play catch-up. And because they're trying to play catch-up, it seems like they're being phony with how they're approaching it. While with Ryan Day, it's like, dude, we do something every day here. Like, I don't have to do anything extra because it's constantly on 100 when we think about that team. So, and I don't want to get us off to a bad start. Like, hey, it's Michigan-Ohio State. We go. We're downplaying it. We're not. (laughs) My point is this. Ryan Day can't tell stories of the past, but Ryan Day is, like, wholly invested in this Mm -hmm. rivalry right now as a guy who has no – outside personal connection to it before he got here. Jim Harbaugh is as personally connected to this rivalry as you can be. His dad was an assistant here. He like grew up with Bo Beckler. He played for Bo Beckler 35 years ago. He guaranteed a win in this. And yet he somehow feels like he, he doesn't emphasize it as much as the guy from New Hampshire. And so the, what they're doing this year that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan players talked about on Monday was that they have this thing they now call the beat Ohio drill that they do every day in practice. And they took a drill they had previously that was just a run drill. They want to be a physical drill. It's inside runs between the tackles, physical offensively, physical defensively. And they call it the beat Ohio drill. They do it every day. And Jim Harbaugh said they started that in the spring. And so I guess it's better late than never. I don't know. Like, the idea that he didn't, and we've talked about this in the podcast, but it's one of these things is Ohio State Michigan week, you wind up repeating yourself, especially when Ohio State's won 15 to 16. The fact that he didn't seize on this from the jump is just like, what were you doing? Why didn't you emphasize this from the jump? And again, I think the reason he didn't was because he didn't know if they could win. He wasn't sure he could win. 
and he was trying to rebuild, rebuild the program. He, he had to rebuild the program before he could focus on the rivalry. We said the other day, if you're going to have a program, what do you do? Number one is beat the rival. Well, when you're three and nine, number one is like win more than half your games, right? So he had to deal with that. I think he was afraid of emphasizing it too much, which leads us to the beat Ohio drill comes into existence in year seven. And Nathan, it's late. And is it phony? I don't know if the, I don't know. I wouldn't use the word phony. It's late, but I do think it's better late than never because he can't go back in time. And they are a pretty darn solid football team. They are absolutely legitimately one of the 10 best teams in the country. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. When you combine talent level, coaching, scheme, both sides of the ball, I actually want to get into Michigan coaching a little bit. I think that's true. So I understand, you know, they should be doing it now. But the question is, is it going to matter now? But all, all you're doing is trying to do whatever you can to get your team to play better on the last Saturday in November. So, like, is having a drill named the Beat Ohio Drill in April part of that? I don't know. Ohio State does it. So I guess I would try it even in year seven. Yeah, it's we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's pod, too. But it's like it's the, the start of all of this. The Jim Trestle genesis of all of this harkens back to this quaint time when these were more talent equated programs. So I think you're right. Like it's as much as you're right, the, the, taking it more seriously now and maybe making it more public. And because I think. Part of the dis- deficiency, the not deficiency, the disparity that we've seen in these two programs has been maybe what you're saying that that Ohio State or that Michigan almost just resigns itself to to some extent to its out to its fate in this game, and sort of like with Jim Trestle, once you say it publicly, it creates another level of accountability. Maybe it means something now that Michigan is saying these things a little bit more publicly and putting that accountability making that accountability more public that now they have something, their own words to live up to as much as what the schedule gives them. It's also easy as a fan to just take that and think that you weren't, why weren't you doing this beforehand and just be like, Oh, now you're actually prioritizing it because you're doing things and putting action towards it. That means you weren't prioritizing it at all before. But, but here's, but here's the thing. And Nathan, you said to harken back to like quaint Jim Trestle times. One of the points is, that when Jim Trestle came in, he came into two ten and one, and mm-hmm. he didn't wait to prioritize it. He prioritized it the day he got hired, at a time when Michigan was beating Ohio State's butt. He did not shy away from it. He did not say, "Well, we've got to make sure Ohio State has a winning record before we can worry about Michigan." He took it head on. Yes, but it—you can correct me if I'm wrong—but at the time it didn't feel like Michigan and Ohio state were on different planes of existence in college football. Ohio state was doing everything else. Ohio state was winning all the other games. It just had this weird funky thing with Michigan. It couldn't get past. And that's not really the relationship between these two programs right now. I mean, I agree with that. There's a concept of one still a thing. Yeah. And there's a concept of, listen, this might take a while for us to like get to a point where we're competitive and as a program, just in general, but one thing you best to know that we are going to compete in this rivalry. And that's what Jim Trussell was saying that day. It never felt like Jim Harbaugh had ever said that. And now it's because he's got a team who's a top five, top 10 team in the country and playing in this game. Now he's going to do it. 
Well, well I've been say- saying this since the start of the season, though. We can go back to Big Ten Media Day, and they were talking about this back then. So it's been a season-long thing that Michigan – it hasn't just been this past week. Yeah. But I was just agreeing with what you said before, Doug, that that I think that the reason Harbaugh maybe didn't emphasize it when he came <laughs> in was because it's not, the relationships between the programs were not the same as even when Trestle came in. And, and I do agree with that. But I do think Harbaugh's lack of emphasizing it from the jump makes Jim Trestle seem like a baller. Right. That even even with the realities, it's like, well, you know what? This is different. This is different than the guy who the day got hired, went to a basketball game and said, we're going to go do it against Michigan. That Jim Harbaugh was just looking over some stuff from like Jim Harbaugh's introductory news conference. And a lot of it was I'm sure I don't he probably talked about Ohio State, but that wasn't the headline. Right. The headline of Jim Trestle taking the job was like promises Mm -hmm. that Ohio State will represent itself against Michigan. Jim Harbaugh was talking a lot about like. It's almost like rebuilding the pride in Michigan football. And again, that's because for everything to your point, Nathan, and you are right. There is a distinction. I still think maybe Harbaugh could have emphasized it, but I think we're, we're talking about why he didn't. Trestle wasn't coming off three and nine. Trestle wasn't coming in off 10 years of Rich Rod and Brady Hoke where they were at losing records and stuff, you know? So, I mean, it it is a little bit different, but it's just, it's just hard. I will say it's hard to listen to, to Jim Harbaugh talk about this stuff sometimes because he did talk about the beat Ohio drill. It, it is, there's something else about the, the anniversaries of things that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, but it is 35 years since his guarantee. And he was asked about that by somebody early in his news conference. And he basically said like, that was 35 years ago. And the guy was like, what would you do now? If you were ahead, if you're the head coach and one of your players did that now, did what you did. And he's like, ah, it's 35 years ago. Like he wouldn't even like entertain it. And it's like, I get it. He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't like to live in the past or whatever, but it does just suck some of the fun out of it. So I thought this was the most interesting Jim Trestle answer. Tell me if you, uh, Jim Harbaugh answer. Tell me if you guys can hear this. I recorded it off the, it's like a recording of a recording. So I recorded it off the news conference. I hope it plays. Okay. Sometimes he's better on like weird stuff. You know, that like, if you try to ask about football stuff, he kind of doesn't want to talk about it. But if you ask him like the right weird question, um, let me turn off the volume. He'll get going a little bit. So let's see. If you guys can't hear this, just let me know. Let's try it, though. Jim, obviously a big game this week, but also a time to give thanks. Oh, was wondering what is typically on the Harbaugh Thanksgiving table? Uh, you know, uh, you know, something like that. You're going to have a turkey there on that table. It's a popular bird. It's not a, not a nervous bird like a chicken. Uh, I try to avoid chicken, but, uh, you know, sides there with turkey, mashed potatoes, uh, Probably in there sometimes, uh, you know, got the, the lumps in the mashed potatoes and, uh, you know, other people say uh, creamy on that. And, uh, you know, I more of a lump guy, I would guess you would say. And, uh, you know, sweet potatoes uh, and, uh, you know, people... Some people call them yams, and it's 
not right or wrong, which you'd say there. I'm a, I'd say sweet potato, but uh, others don't get, uh, you know, whatever you decide to call them. You put a marshmallows on that. It's always good. Although it's, uh, it's a little sweeter. You got a marshmallow on it. Some, some people say I want to keep it, you know, keep it savory, uh, and uh, and then and then pumpkin pie. So you know, a little Cool Whip. Remember, my mom would have the Cool Whip and she put that on there, and then. John and I, you know, John and I go out in the backyard and play play some Thanksgiving Day football and the winner got a got an extra dollop of cool whip. So I'd have uh, I'd have my brother John and you know friends and my friends would come over and I'd have my brother John in a headlock and my my mom would say, Hey Jim, don't don't put your brother in a headlock over some Cool Whip. And, uh, you know, that was just, uh, you know, it was a, another uh, beautiful, uh, you know, wonderful Thanksgiving at the, uh, the Harbaugh house. So, like, he just goes off on, like, the most <laughs> random tangents but i've heard him do that before so i like i wasn't surprised to hear him do that about that but like to get him to talk about football is like almost impossible but the one thing he said in that news conference was that he feels like they're going to try to channel Bo and woody in this game and that he was talking about it coming down to blocking and tackling and it's like is it like is it going to come down to blocking and tackling if if Chris Olave is open 60 yards down the field behind your defense, that I, it feels like, Nathan, that they know they aren't explosive as Ohio State, and there's some football stuff to it here. But I think they're, they are, like, I think really leaning in, which actually I think is good coaching, leaning in to what they are because they know what they are and what they aren't. And there's a lot of, you know, the beat Ohio drill is a run drill. They want to run the ball. They want to control the clock they at least have an identity. And I don't like talking about football identity that much. Cause I think actually, I don't know, you try to win, whatever, but they have leaned into it. I think maybe more than they ever have in the Harbaugh era. And I actually think that might be more valuable on Saturday than did we have a drill that had the word Ohio in it in April. You're not going to come up with something like, you know, on the fly in the, in the span of these five or six days that solves this problem. It's yeah. got to be doubling down on your identity and what you've been doing all season. And this is what Michigan has been all season. Like, you know, they know where their strengths are. They know where their weaknesses are or, or their, their less strengths, if however you want to say it. And I fully expect them to, to, to approach the game that way. I think you're right. I think that is the only way it's not just smart coaching. It's really the only thing that would maybe even qualify as coaching. Anything else would be, I, mean, I don't even know. No one. I don't think. I don't think anybody has that kind of gamble in them. I think what you've got to do is is try to um, 
the, the whole point of this game, and I think it, it, it applies from Ohio State side too, is to just be the best version of yourself that you've been building towards all season. So that that's really what I think Michigan has to do on Saturday. And it's what Michigan State, I'm sure, thought it was going to try to do last week too. It's just once it's 28 to nothing that you've got to find a way to avoid that first. Yeah. They want to run it. They want to control it. I, I do think, Stephen, like, I think this team is well coached. That I, 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 maybe Ohio State fans don't want to think about that with Michigan. But when you look at penalties, Michigan is 26th in the nation in penalty yards per game, 43.7. Ohio State is 80th, 57.6. Um, you look at time of possession, which is something that Harbaugh definitely mentioned this week. Michigan is 14th in the nation in time of possession. They have it for 32 minutes and 26 seconds per game. Ohio State doesn't care about time of possession. Ohio State 78th. They have it for 29 minutes and 29 seconds a game. And then third down conversions. Ohio State is actually better because it's like this, this high-flying Ohio State offense that doesn't get in to third downs very much. Ohio state is still third in the nation and third down conversion. They convert 54% and Michigan is 26th in the nation at 45%. But in the name of like, don't beat yourself, convert third downs, control the clock. Any, what any fifth grade football coach would say about how to slow down Ohio state Michigan does check a couple boxes there, Stephen. They've been checking them all year. And it almost feels like, again, not that they've decided to play this way, because it's kind of how Harbaugh played before. But it is the is it not the best plan, maybe? If you don't have Ohio State's athletes across the board, this might be the best plan. And they're about as good at their plan as anybody in the country. And it feels like a well-coached team. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it is they – took this approach because they knew it was going to be the best approach to beat Ohio state versus a coaching staff understanding what it has and what it's good at. And more importantly, what it's not good at, which I think is a very underrated skill in life, knowing what you're not good at. And it seems like they found a good mixture of both of those ideas of the best way to beat Ohio State is make sure C.J. Stroud, Jack Smith, the Jigba, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Travion Henderson are sitting on the bench watching the game for free or basically getting a chance to watch a football game for free while this defense has to work, while also being able to run the ball and not make mistakes and convert on third down. Basically, everything that we haven't seen teams the last two weeks do, and so Ohio State's went on these scoring parades. I, I'm not – I don't know if it's going to work, but, yes, oh, no. I do th- – I don't know. Yeah, that's a whole different conversation. That's a different conversation. But at least I I think it's the best approach. The best way to try. It's the best way to try. Nathan, we've talked about Mike McDonald, the new defensive coordinator for Michigan, on the last two podcasts. Ryan Day, when asked about him right off the bat today, said, Don Brown ran more of a college defense. Mike McDonald runs more of an NFL defense. What did you make of that from Ryan Day? I think some of that is the way that they are very varied in their personnel at times, the way that they will use different packages, moving guys around, trying to match things up in a personnel way. You know, at at the NFL level, I feel like there is um, uh, harken back to the way like we used to talk about Sean Wade, about how the value he might have in the NFL as a strong safety or as a nickel 
corner that there was going to be a niche he could fill and potentially be really good at um, or or someone like Baron Browning. You know what I mean? Like there was always at the NFL, I feel like they value more sometimes just those positional roles and things I've read. When I've watched Michigan, I think you see that a little bit, that they will come at you with some of those different matchups. They're also going to, you know, I think they're going to bring some rushes in some interesting ways um, I think they'll move Hutchinson around if they have to. I think it's more just a more sophisticated way of, of approaching the concept of defense than what I think people saw, what they thought of at the end of the, the Don Brown era. Because it's, it's interesting. I was reading what you wrote, I think, in 2019, maybe going into the Michigan game in 2019, about how Day had blown them up a little bit, and it was kind of looking forward to the, the rematch. And day saying some things about, well, no, no defensive coordinator is going to give you more looks than Don Brown and, and some things along those lines. But when you read Michigan people this season, talking about what McDonald brought to this defense, they refer to the Brown defense as being very staid, like very dry and not as um, unpredictable or not as well disguised maybe. So I think those are some of the things that they'll ha- that Ohio State's going to have to deal with on Saturday too. It's just maybe a little bit less uh, face value, like less knowing what you are going to get before the snap. I take when Ryan Day says something is more like the NFL and something else is more like college. I take that to equate NFL equals good, college equals bad. Yeah. Yes, I do. Too. Yes, so like one is sophisticated and one is easier. I think that's how he looks at it because I think he wants an NFL offense. Yes. So I thought that matched the way we had talked about McDonald for the previous two podcasts that this is more on equal footing here of two guys who are going to run their sides of the ball an NFL way with their NFL experience, Stephen. I mean, it, I, I felt yeah. that coming off Ryan day. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I would use the words good and bad. I just think, in college, a lot of times you have to be simple because you're dealing with kids. Yep. And so it's like, go let your talent be your talent. And most of the time you're going to win because we're just better than you. While NFL, you have to be a little bit more complex. You have to throw different things. You have to confuse defenses. You have to confuse quarterbacks. And pre-snap, we see oh, Ryan Day with the pre-snap stop motion stuff. Defenses who show you one thing pre-snap and then they rotate into something else post-snap. I think that's more what it means. It's just... NFL, you have to think a little, the player has to think a little bit more than your average, you know, typical college, whatever side of the ball you want to talk about. So yeah, yeah, it's good. That's what makes this interesting is that it, it can be a little bit more of a chess match for both sides of the ball. The, the thing, one of the things that Ryan Day said early in his tenure that stuck with me the most in describe, describing what he's trying to do is hard for us, easy for them. That yeah. hard for the coaches, like complex schemes, a variety of things that you as a coach find a way to teach in a simple manner to teenagers who have to go to class and can't do football 19 hours a day, like the millionaires can. So I I think that always stuck with me. And if that's what Mike McDonald's bringing to Michigan, then you can see how everything's working a little bit better. All right, quick break. We want to talk about receiver awards, a couple other Ohio state, Michigan things. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. Doug, Nathan, Stephen, great time to try the texts, 614-350-3315. We're recording this before the college football announcement on Tuesday night, so we won't be talking about that because it's not super important. 
Um, what it's, I mean, Ohio State's controls its own destiny. And one of the things, and I'm going to look this up this week, Nathan, we talked again about top 10 matchups on the podcast on Wednesday on the Mount Buckmore. I thought that was a good podcast. I hope people go back and listen to that one. And Jim Harbaugh, one of the other things he said a lot in his news conference was calling this a playoff game. That the team that wins goes on, can chase all its goals, and the team that loses cannot. And I do think, I'm curious to go count up the times that you would have been able to call this game a playoff game for both teams. That it is at, we're we're at the last week of the regular season, and both teams are still alive for the national title. And the winner will continue to be, and the loser will no longer continue to be. Clearly, that was the case in 2016. Clearly, that was the case in 2006. I guess it was also the case in 2018 because Ohio State got to the playoff announcement in 2018 and thought they were in, and they didn't Mm -hmm. get in. And Michigan was ranked higher than Ohio State going into that game. So 2018 would have been some. And then when you go back into the 70s, all these games where they're both in the top five, it's like, all right, well, you're the Big Ten champ, and you win that rivalry game, and then you go to the Rose Bowl, and then you have a chance to be voted first in the polls. I'm sure it happened many times. But still, that's kind of a, of a big deal, Nathan. I don't want us to give that short shrift. And I, I found it interesting how often Harbaugh emphasized it, because I do think, as we sort of talked about again on the Mount Buckmore pod, Sometimes the rivalry game can almost be more rivalry intense when there's nothing else at stake. It's like, this is it. It's just the rivalry. So when you add other things, I think it both heightens and lessens the pressure of the rivalry itself. That it's like, let's just go win a big game. We're Michigan. We've got to go win a big game. Well, guess what? Harbaugh does not have a great record in big games, right? Well, they just beat Penn State. That was pretty good, right? Maybe early in the year, you thought Washington might be a a big game at the time. Then Washington stinks, but they won that game. They beat Wisconsin. That was a big game, right? So Wisconsin. Let's let's treat this as yes, a rivalry. Not run from that, but right next to rivalry, we're going to say playoff game, because I almost think for Michigan, winning a playoff game might be easier than winning a rivalry game. So that's a big deal. It's a big deal, and we just have to acknowledge that. I hope people understand that. I mean, I think there's a non-zero chance. I mean, they're not going to hear this until Wednesday. But when we see the rankings Tuesday night, Michigan could be as high as like five. I don't think they'll jump that high, but it's possible. They could jump ahead of Notre Dame or whoever was in front of them last week in the rankings. They could be ahead of Cincinnati. They, if, if the committee maybe decides it hates Cincinnati. But maybe, yeah. but although Cincinnati was ahead last week and did beat SMU, which was a better win uh, than what Michigan had yeah. last week. But I, I think Cincinnati will be it. But anyway, they'll know people will know by the time they, they hear this. I'm just saying that like if you think about it from that way, that Michigan could be the fifth team in the rankings night, or that I mean, Michigan came out of the Michigan State game, I'm sure thinking that I mean, everyone who watched it could think of it. Like they had a chance to win that game. Maybe they should have won that game and they just didn't get it done. Like they were up that 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they'd be that win away from being probably the number two team in the country right now. So like it's yeah. it's that's that should give people some indication of how significant this game is. I know that it's not because they did legitimately lose. So did Ohio State. So it's not one versus two, but it it's essentially if you think of I mean the, the playoffs have started. The playoffs started for Ohio State as soon as they lost to Oregon, but every game should have that stakes at this point because uh, 
it's it's elimination from the ultimate goal for Ohio State, and it's um, elimination from the, the redemption that Michigan's been looking for now for a few weeks. What other Michigan-y stuff did you find interesting from Tuesday? Because there was a lot of player stuff. And I'll just, again, people sometimes like the inside baseball stuff. There was a time under Trestle where we would go into the indoor facility, the field at the Woody, and they would have tables set up all around the Woody. And you would get like 15 players and they'd be out at all different times. There'd be like four or five guys out at a time. It was like a bowl media day for Michigan week. And you would do it. We would always do trestle on Tuesday, just like we do Ryan day Tuesday now, but that would be on Monday. Cause trestle was like, I'm going to give you everybody. And lots of times under trestle, you did not get a lot of people. We joke about like, yeah, you got four players this week and one's the punter and one's the long snapper. So that wasn't always the case, but Michigan week, like everybody talked, you could go around and work all this individual stuff. If you had an angle where you're trying to ask, I'm trying to ask uh, every, every Ohio state player, what's the worst thing your grandmother ever said about Bo Beckler, right? And you could go ask seven different guys and get funny answers just for yourself. And then Rusty Miller, the old AP guy would organize like a quote share and you'd be in charge of a player and everybody would share the quotes. And you'd just have this avalanche of material on Monday that you that, and then you had no other interviews the rest of the week. And so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you just wrote based off all these people you talked to on Monday. And it was awesome. And I would get mad because I'd, I'd ask people about Bo Beckler grandmother questions. And then people who never asked questions would take my Bo Beckler grandmother story and write it for their little suburban paper, even though they never opened their mouths. But what do so you So normal, so normal stuff. Just, I mean, Doug on the beat. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like, so this week, I mean, it, I get it. It's COVID. It's also, it's, I think it's mostly COVID because we sort of eased off of that, but we only got Ryan day and four players. And like most of the players said things like Nathan, like it's a big game. It's the, it always, no matter what else, like you try to say, Oh, is it, I think, you know, people are asking Nicholas Petit Frere, Hey, what, you know, you're blocking Aiden Hutchinson. He's projected as a top five pick. And Nicholas Petit Frere was like, well, it's Michigan. It's big, no matter what. It's like, okay. But like, but you're also, going to be playing great players yeah but it's big no matter what it was like oh it's almost they almost care about it too much nathan because it sort of wiped out a lot of the analysis of the nitty-gritty of the game because it was just like it's michigan it's all that matters for our purposes it can sometimes be frustrating yeah this is like the week where i think fans have the most interest in like in each individual matchup that's gonna be going on on the field and you get to ask fewer of those questions. And, and then when you do, you do sometimes get answers like those. So whatever that's, I guess that's our job to find out, to find, to come up with the answers to those, regardless of, of what the guys said. Um, but I'm just lowering expectations for our audience. <laughs> when you go on cleveland.com.osu over the next few days, just, just, just be, be aware. That's it. There's nothing else. Okay. Yeah. There was a lot of the feelings questions about the rivalry as Doug likes to put the feelings questions, you know, Haskell told a interesting story that probably every single player on this team has told at one point how he went to Bishop Gorman. So they had blue and orange colors. And so he had a Bishop Gorman hoodie on that was blue and urban Meyer yelled at him and told him to take it off. Kyle McCord once told me that he said the word Michigan in the building and Corey Dennis cursed him out. They all have a story like that. Cool. This is the time to tell those stories, but we did get some football talk. 
I'm not going to make it seem like it was all feelings. Nicholas Petit Frere gave some pretty interesting answers to, you know, dealing with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. Uh, Chris Olave talked about, you know, from a receiver's perspective, what having defensive ends, you know, like that can do for a receiver and running his routes and how much quicker they have to do stuff because they know the quarterback's going to be under pressure. Haskell Garrett went into detail about stopping the run and stuff. So we did get some of that stuff as well. But yeah, there was every other question of, how does it feel to be playing in this game? Does it feel like a rivalry? Did you miss it last year? It's been 700 days. How did that make you feel last year? And that's why I love Zach Harrison, because he'll just be like, I mean, we had a lot of games canceled last year, dude. It was just what it was. Yeah. Now I feel like we're making fun of Michigan Week. This is not great. No, we're not making fun of it. It's just – Every other question doesn't have to be a feelings question. There's still, this is a still, a, even if you take the rivalry away from it in this specific, specific instance, it's still a really good football game being played. And so every other question doesn't have to be, how does this make you feel? No, but, but the whole point is that it is the rivalry, that it's not, it's yeah. not Oregon because Oregon was a good game too. So like we would, we do want to talk about football. I'm just out of ways to ask 17 years in, I don't have any more Ohio state. Michigan interesting questions left in me, sadly, which is why I respected Clay Hall for coming up with an idea. Um, but back in the day, you really could work stuff of like some more intimate because if you if feelings questions at the podium are hard, feelings questions are better one on one. So a bunch of feelings questions at a podium mm-hmm. gets a little dicey. I did think it was interesting when Chris Olave was talking about catching two touchdowns and blocking a punt against Michigan as a freshman. And like what a confidence boost that was. And like everybody was supporting him and it like it really he thinks like sort of set him off on his career that he played such an important role. And then he went on and had a big game in the Big Ten championship game that Mm -hmm. year and that it set him off that that the Michigan game was really a jumping off point for him. And I'll, I, I think we'll make some predictions about that on the game preview pod about like which who's an Ohio State player who could have a Chris Olave kind of Michigan game that like this is your sort of coming out party to the world that propels you into something more um, in your career. What, what did you make in the end, Nathan, of the defensive end issue? The thing if Stephen was asking a lot about it. We were all asked. Uh, it was, it's kind of like the main thing. It's like what Michigan does best almost other than run the ball is that they have two pass rushers and that's different than other guys. The other teams Ohio state has faced has kind of had one of those guys. Did, did we get a vibe from Ryan day and Nicholas Petit fair that I, we should have gotten fair today. Why don't we get fair? Fair yeah, would be know. good. Fair's a captain too. We should have gotten fair. Fair's a good talker. I like talking to fair. He is a good talker. Um, what's the vibe. How big of a deal do we, do you think it is that it's two and not one? Well, they don't seem to think of it. I mean, they respect it, but I don't think it's something that seems to trouble them very much. And the, the overall theme of the offense today, no matter who we talk to, was just the confidence right now that they have that as long as they don't make mistakes, as long as they're just fundamentally strong, they're going to beat whoever they play. Like, that's the vibe that you get from this offense right now. It's like they had that little hiccup for a couple of weeks. Uh, some of that was like getting themselves off schedule uh, some dumb penalties, some just some 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 slip ups here in the red zone, and now that they've corrected those things, this is an offense that's regardless of whatever points are putting up. I mean, just supreme confidence is kind of the vibe you get from these guys. So I think that's what when I when you talk to Nicholas Petit Frere and you talk to uh, I, I, pretty much anybody on that offense right now, I, I, that's just the vibe that I get. 
that they feel like it's it's up to somebody else to knock them off of this plane that they're on right now. Yeah, I, I think they, they acknowledge that those two are really good, but also the idea for them is they've progressively played better defensive lines that have kind of built up to this. So it's not – yet. no, they didn't get Thibodeau, obviously, at the beginning of the year, but over the last six weeks, obviously, George Karloftis is the biggest name that stands out. But in their mind, yeah, there's names, but a lot of the guys they've played are good enough to where, like – they're kind of ready for this moment because it's not Dewan Jones's first start at this point. And this is Nicholas Petit Frere's like 20th start and like his, his 12th start at left tackle. So they're not, it's not, it's, it's not quite similar to what it would, would have been had they gotten Thibodeau in week two, where they, this line was kind of fresh. Nicholas Petit Frere was really good. He was talking about why he walked on senior day last week. He said it's because he graduated with like a 3.5 and he wanted to walk for his mom and for them to have that moment. And that he's the first male member of his family to graduate from college and that he did it in three and a half years. And that is like a big stinking deal. And he wanted to celebrate that. It's also probably cause he's going to the NFL and he didn't say that, mm-hmm. but it was also like a, a, an interesting answer from him that also explains a thought process, but also I would expect that he's going to the NFL. But so he was good. He's always really good. I was, he was sort of talking about the way the tackles have played this year and he did get asked about it, but he was, he, he really seemed to be in a zone of like, Oh, we just try to get better every week. Once we have a week, we don't look back or whatever. So I didn't ask, I'm still Nathan, a little bit curious of like, what kind of happened there for a week or two with you guys? Cause you were so awesome then you had a couple rough weeks starting with Penn State, and now the tackles are awesome again. And what was the deal? But I sort of felt like his answer was going to be like, well, we're playing well now. Nothing, We're never perfect. We can always get better. And then it wasn't going to be a great answer, so I asked other stuff. But I feel like that's kind of wiped at this point, that the way Ebikidi from Penn State beat those guys, even just a handful of times, was kind of like something like, oh. And then it's like, oh. And then... Purdue and Michigan state did nothing. And I think we're, are we back to full faith in the Ohio state tackles? That is not to say that David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson are never going to get to CJ Stroud because sometimes those guys are going to win, but is there any worry about the Ohio state offensive tackles at this point? Or is it basically like four guys who are all kind of at the top of their game and it's just going to be good on good all day. I don't know if worry is the right term because they could play well and still give up some stuff to someone as good as Hutchinson and Ojabo. So I don't know if worry is the right word, but I, I did sort of ask him a question. I, you know, was there a correction that happened between yes. Nebraska and Purdue? Like what, what happened there? Because it seems like something clicked and you guys are just humming at a different level right now. And he didn't like the word correction. He kind of, termed it more like a refocus like they you know were they taking mm-hmm. were they looking at like even like the mental days Thursday and Friday not even just the good on good practices Tuesday Wednesday where they do the first down stuff first and second down Tuesday third and fourth down Wednesday good on good a lot of competition there but even the, the stuff later in the week were they approaching those things the right way was it was just, I think he even used the term like um heightened sense of focus or heightened sense of urgency, something along that line, making sure that like every 
single thing that you do all week counts. I mean, Ryan Day was talking about that in relation to this game, about how you are just so emotionally committed to like every second of the day of Michigan week. And that by the end of the game Friday, you're just an exhausted mess, which is uh, we've seen from him after the, the 2019 game, although it obviously had some, some meaning for him, but I think that was part of it. it was just like, you're sort of emotionally and, and mentally spent. And I don't think the players are trying to drive themselves to that level necessarily each week, but I think it's been that mindset has already had already started to click in going into Purdue that they, I mean, he used this term, Chris Olave used the phrase, we're the only ones that can hold us back. We're the only ones who can stop us. That's how this offense feels right now. I think that if they just go out and execute basic things, the skill that they have, the talent that they have is going to win out. DeJuan Jones said something, the, the, the increased sense of the, the focus level. He said this before the, the Purdue game and just how, cause he got asked similar questions of what the heck is going on. And he just admitted they had been smelling themselves a little bit <clears throat> and they maybe lost a little bit of focus and really the Nebraska, more the Nebraska game more than the Penn state game kind of was like a reality check of like, yo, yeah, you're pretty good, but that doesn't mean you don't have to bring it every single week. And we've seen what's happened since then. So I do think, that Nebraska game was a little bit of a wake-up call for a team who had been just killing everybody for a month that, yo, remember, you lost to Oregon a month ago because you weren't, you know, you weren't at your best. You didn't have your best day. So I think that's a level of it. But also to the point of what the wants said that day when he revealed to us that Jack Sawyer was basically acting as George Karloftis, no one's doing that this week. There's no Aiden Hutchinson or David Ajabo on this team. It's just, no, we're just going to go good on good two days in a row because yeah. we have Zach Harrison. We have Tyreek Smith. We have JT Tui Malowal. We have Jack Sawyer. Those guys are going to be everybody. Everybody who is going to play meaningful minutes, meaningful snaps for us is just going to be Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, which is a good approach to use this week when it is multiple guys. Let's do a quick health update. And then we'll take a quick break and wrap up with some awards talk. Nathan, it feels like they're getting back a couple guys. And I mean, they really are pretty remarkably healthy for game 12. Yeah. I mean, other than the guys who suffered, you know, Proctor, I guess, being the one that they, they lost for the season, but they don't have a lot of things that we know of that are hanging in the balance this week. Uh, uh, Ryan Day said they're hopeful that Emeka Ibuka plays on Saturday. So you're getting back a dynamic kickoff uh, return guy. Right, for people who want to go to the site, I just wrote up a little thing about why the, um, Julian Fleming was the guy that they picked for that, which I thought was was interesting. Um, no, but but I think the reason I thought it was a lie. I think there's it's obvious why Julian Fleming got to do it. It's it's the Fleming Fleming connection. And it was like Parker Fleming's a special teams coach. And he was like, I'll take the guy with the same name as me. And <laughs> it was that like, simple. Oh, it was like, oh, Julian Fleming, really he's working hard. It's like, whatever. Last name bias. No relation, Parker Fleming and Julian Fleming, by the way, that we know of. He <laughs> said um, Cody Simon, not a long-term injury, but did not go into whether or not that means he'll play Saturday. That's potentially significant he's been starting at, at Mike linebacker although they've been pretty happy with the play they've been getting from Tommy Eichenberg this season he was really good on Saturday so um and especially of late I would say they've been happy with the play they've been getting from him so and this is another matchup that maybe kind of fits Tommy Eichenberg more yep. than certain other matchups 
So th- that that might be one that they can get through this week. Uh, seven Banks, nobody asked him about Seven Banks, but Seven was close to playing, it looked like, on Saturday, sort of. He came out, he warmed up. He didn't really do a lot of pregame stuff, though, and I saw him say to the – he kind of shook his head as he was coming off the field and said something to the trainer about, like, yeah, no, nah, like, uh, you saw that, right? And then went back to the locker room. So, But maybe another week – the fact that he could come out and even try to play gives you some, I guess, hope for Ohio State that he could play this week. Um, is that it? Was there, I think that was the only other health um, updates he gave this week. Yeah, Kate Kaczynski sounds like he's going to be out for yeah, a long time. So that's a, that's a special teams guy that they won't have. But those were the, the primary ones for this game, I think. Yeah. Simon yeah, Agbuka. Yeah. Um, okay. Quick break. We'll be back. No Ohio State receivers in the three finalists for the Boletnikoff Award. What do we think of that next on Buckeye Talk? So I did take a picture of one of the signs. I, just, I do it every year. It's not new. It's like they put the red tape over the M's on campus. I always have it in my planner of like one year I'm going to do it because it's like a student group that gets up in like the middle of the night and runs all over campus and puts red tape over every M they can find. And But they don't admit that they do it. Like I was talking to the group one time that did it and they were like, oh, we don't do it. And it's like, can I? Because come? it's follow it's vandalism it's not vandalism. yeah it's, i mean it doesn't hurt the sign it's, the tape comes off no, it's, no that's i'd like to see <laughs> it's, the, it's the facing public property but like Let's i don't find... know if anybody no one's going to arrest you for putting red x's over m's on it's, michigan week a couple years ago facing it it's new facing it i i walked around <laughs> campus probably maybe in 18 on the day and just like took a picture of like every sign I could find that had an M crossed out, took a picture of like 80 signs. I will say, I mean, it is, and no, I mean, I used to go to the mirror like jump every year and I know people listening to this Ohio state alums participated in the mirror, like jump. I mean, I, I remember being at the mirror, like jump, like with Terrell Pryor and like a big parka watching all the, all the students jump in the lake. And I get it. I mean, there was an incident and it's probably not safe. And, but it has, I don't know, like, the reason I brought up the M thing is because I took a picture of the thing. I mean, it's, you see them everywhere. It's not breaking news. And I just tweeted it. And somehow, like, I have Michigan people in my timeline commenting on it. And it's like, they didn't cross out every M. And it's like, oh, you missed an M. And it's like, there are like 9,000 signs on campus with 400,000 M's on them. And the goal is not to get every M. It is... <laughs> it is the idea of it. It is not. They the, zoomed in. <laughs> it's not a test. It's not a test for find that M. And oh, you only crossed out eleven M's on that sign, but there were seventeen. It's like it's a fun little rivalry thing, and I get it. It's the Michigan people. Their part of the rivalry is to criticize Ohio State, and Ohio State's part of the rivalry is to criticize Michigan. But it's like it's just college kids running around and having fun. But like I like that stuff in it. And when John Kasich was governor, the guy who was his press secretary had formerly worked at Ohio State, and they sent out a release every year that like made fun of Jim Harbaugh's pants. And it's like, why is the governor of Ohio making fun of Jim Harbaugh's pants? It's like, oh no, it's fun. So yeah, we're not. It's it's you know, there's some stuff that I miss a little bit. And who am I? But I mean, I'm sure the fans miss a little bit. I hope they don't lose as much. It's like, oh, Michigan, you know. But I, that's part of what makes it fun. For everybody. And again, it's not a science test. It's supposed to be fun. So it is. And and I, I if Michigan's leaning in a little bit more, 
and Ohio State still leaning into the rivalry, great. Awesome. Keep leaning. It's good for everybody. Steven, what do we think of the idea of no Ohio State receivers among the three finalists for the award named for Fred Bletnikoff for the best receiver in college football? It's Jamison Williams from Alabama, the former Buckeye. It's, uh, I can't remember who the other two guys are. It's a guy from Pitt. And who's the other guy? Oh, David Bell and David Bell from Purdue and the guy from Pitt. So Ryan Day was asked about it. Chris Olave was asked about it. What did they say? And what do we think? Um, Brian Day said something I agree with. I think the award should go to the best player and not somebody who has the best statistics because those are not always the same thing. And uh, Chris Olave kind of shugged it off, but also said he was proud of JMO, which is, yeah, to the point I wrote that earlier this year, the idea that Jamison Williams is basically the wide receiver version of Joe Burrow. Um, contrary to what he said on Instagram Live one day, the people inside that building still very much support him, especially the people in that wide receiver room. They've been kind of cheering him on all year just as they cheer on their own teammates. Um, but, yeah, I, I, we did a video. We all agreed that Garrett Wilson, of the three wide receivers in Ohio State's room, should probably be a finalist for that award. It does feel like they're being punished because they have to share the workload with somebody else, which I don't understand. That one is with this year because those guys are still – amongst the nation's best when you look at their numbers. I mean, Chris Olave second in the country in touchdowns this year, and he's tied with, guess who, Jamison Williams. You know, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, is right outside the top 10 in yards this season. And the only reason Garrett's numbers are a little bit lower is because he missed the game. So uh, it, it, it's uh, – but it's – you know, it comes with the territory when you're in a, t- a room like this where you're not just the guy the way the three guys who are the finalists are. This can happen. You can get left off of lists. Um, even though in, I think, 2018, when Alabama had that crazy room, Jerry Judy still won the award. It's one of those things where, like, if um, if Ohio State didn't have any lineman finalists but still won the award that goes to the best overall offensive line, like, they have mm-hmm. that option, you know what I mean? But there is no award for the best receiving core. So they don't it, – it, it's it, – it's, maybe Ohio State should have, like – if, if they really cared about it, they could have campaigned in some way and said like, Hey, everybody throw their support behind this guy. But it's also a little tricky. Cause it's not like there's just like one senior and then two sophomores. So the other two guys will definitely be back. It's like, it's also Garrett Wilson's last year. So who do you really throw your support behind more there? And I understand what Ryan day is saying about the stats, but like a, unless he's going to go buy every voter in the country, a PFF membership, there's not necessarily a lot of, individual um, analytics stuff available for people to judge, but when they're doing these awards and then B, I mean, CJ Stroud's Heisman campaign is a lot built on the stats he's putting up more than like necessarily being the best player on Ohio state's roster. Although that's probably a different podcast. No, that's true. Like a lot of, a lot of CJ along the way has been stats driven and that we thought last week, he, he also played really, really, really well, True. but it, it's no longer only a stats case, but for a while, the best thing about him was his stats. James Franklin, by the way, 10 year extension at Penn state. Um, so for another 10 years, we'll be asking every off season, which job he's going to take. Yeah. What do you think of that? Is that good for Penn state? Bad for Penn state? Good for Ohio state? Bad for Ohio state? Good for the big 10? Bad for the big 10? Because a lot of guys are going to get extensions because all these jobs are open because Florida is open. LSU is open. USC is open. Washington's open. Virginia tech is open. TCU is open. 
all these jobs are open. James Franklin, I don't know. James Franklin maybe could have gotten the Florida job. Would would Penn State be better off without him? Or and yes, but Nathan, when you sign a ten year deal like that, I mean they're not gonna you can't do it. You're not gonna do it next offseason because when I'm sure the buyout at the beginning of this contract Ooh. is exorbitant, right? So that's how it always is. If you're going to sign this big of a contract, you're not going to leave one year into it. So this is going to, if that has followed him in recent years, and I think it's probably fair to say that it has, I don't know that people have done a ton of negative recruiting against James Franklin based on rumors that maybe he's going to leave, but this is going to lock him in more. Will that make Penn state better? I think it is good for I think it's sort of neutral for Ohio State because I think Penn State was going to hire a good coach if he had left. You know what I mean? And it might have been Luke Fickle. Maybe they could have even done better. So maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's slightly good for Ohio State these days. But I think it's 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 maybe neutral for Ohio State. I think it's good for Penn State. I think it's probably good for the Big Ten. I think we're going to have some interesting discussions coming up about how the expanded playoff, whenever that kicks in, changes how we look at what the best jobs are. Because in places like the SEC, places like Florida, the pressure to win is already so high. The scrutiny you're under is already so high. And now if you miss a 12-team playoff, think of the like catastrophe that that is for two or three years in a row or whatever. Whereas I think at Penn State, you have still have all of the opportunity to be that kind of team, a pretty uh, annual playoff contender in that format without the expectation that it has to be every year. I, I feel like there's a way that you could spin this, that this is a better job than any of the jobs that were open. I'll tell you what, it's, it's good for Drew Aller because he doesn't have to go through what Florida's quarterback commits going through right now and try to figure out if he still wants to stay committed because his coach is gone. But I, I don't know. This just felt I, – I, I agree with what Nathan's saying, but at the same time, this just felt like it was time for both sides to move on from each other. So I don't know if it's a good thing from either side. It just felt like James Franklin needed to kind of spread his wings and go elsewhere. And Penn State just kind of needed to reset, press the reset button a little bit. So I was a little, I'm, I'm, this is, this one's a little shocking. The Dan Millen one, that, it, that seemed inevitable. Maybe he, I just thought maybe he'd make it to the end of the season. I mean, we all, um, or draw, we know that's, that was always going to end. This seemed like, if it was it wasn't going to be a firing, and if James Franklin didn't just leave on his own, they would just agree to go their separate ways. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Maybe what he thought or didn't think he could get right. Maybe <laughs> if he knew he had USC in his back pocket, maybe yeah, he would have done this. But I do think the thing we've always talked about with Penn State is they've never had a quarterback, and if they have one now, if Drew Aller is their guy from Medina, it's a top one hundred national recruit. A quarterback can change everything. And so James Frank, this could be one of those where it's like, oh, remember when James Franklin, everybody thought he was going to leave and then he stayed and then Drew Aller came and in year three, Drew Aller won a national title at Penn State, right? That's, I mean, that's that's not really much crazier than what Joe Burrow did at LSU, right? That, that Penn State's oh. in that next tier. And so, you know, they have four top 100 guys. Their current recruiting class is fifth in the nation, but it's because they have so many guys, they're 10th in star rating for 247 sports, but it's still a top 10 class. They had been in a bit of a recruiting slump uh, the year before, but they have the number 46 kid from Maryland, number 55 from Pennsylvania, number 56 from Ohio, Caden Saunders, number 74, Drew Aller 
from Ohio. So four top 100 guys, I don't know, right? Maybe it's right on the edge of popping. So I don't think James Frank, I think the worst coach for Penn State is James Franklin in limbo. I think James Mm. Franklin locked down or somebody new, right? Or Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell. All of those are better than limbo James Franklin. So locked down, recommitted, let's go. We got a quarterback. Let's see what's up. That version of Penn State might be the best Penn State we've seen yet. And they had some pretty good, I, they have some pretty good players this year. I don't know, but the quarterback can change everything. I also think it's important to remember that, you know, last year was a really bizarre year for them, even more so than for most teams under COVID. And then this year, what are they, seven and four? They're a really, really mm-hmm. good seven and four team. As Ohio State found out, if, if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt, where's this team at right now? I mean, I don't think they – I don't want to say they, they don't beat Ohio State still, obviously, and they maybe don't beat Michigan a couple weeks ago. But now but you're talking about 92. It just – it looks very different. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they, I, I, I think they can beat Michigan State this week, yeah. obviously. So, I mean, this season – make sure you're taking this season out there in the right context. That Penn State's better than its record and with Drew Aller coming in, obviously. Like, there, there may be something to build to pretty quickly there. All right. So, let's get back to the Ohio State receivers – the three finalists for the uh, Bletnikoff are David Bell. David Bell is second in the nation in receiving yards per game from a Power Five conference team. So he's eighth, but he has guys from UTEP and Miami of Ohio and Western Kentucky ahead of him. And like, that's not what this is about. So Drake London from USC, who's hurt is mm-hmm. first among uh right no am i looking at oh, yes the wrong yes he, no, game. he's, Drew, he's first among power five yeah power five my ballot my ballot for the bletnikoff was garrett wilson number one drake london number two and Jahan dotson number three so i didn't get anybody in my final thing but uh drake london is first david bell is second Jordan Addison from Pitt is third, and he's one of the finalists. And Jamison Williams is fourth, and he's one of the finalists. So the three finalists are the guys who are two, three, and four in yards per game among power five receivers. Okay. You got like, am I making it clear what I'm saying here? We're taking sort of out, no offense, but it's one of those things. They should break this stuff out because power five teams are treated differently than non power five teams as teams all the time. And then we lump stuff in together. It's like, Oh, these 11th re- leading receiver. And it's like, Oh yeah. Cause there's a guy from Troy ahead of him. I don't care. Like that's what we're talking about. So here's my quiz guess where, so the guys who made it are two, three, four guess where Jackson Smith, Najigba and Garrett Wilson rank in yards per game among power five receivers, Nathan. Uh, and I'll tell you that Chris Olave is 22nd in yards per game among power five receivers. Guess where JSN and GW are? Seventh and 17th. Steven? They're seventh and 11th. If I'm... That is correct. They're seventh and 11th. Yeah. I almost said seventh and 11th. Then I thought it was going to be... It sounded like I was saying 7 like I was like riffing on the uh, convenience store, so I changed yeah. it. Jack so... So... Like, is that the end all be all like, is that David Bell is averaging 120.7 receiving yards per game. 
He has five total touchdowns. He averages 3.9 yards per catch. Garrett Wilson has uh, 93.9 yards per game, 11 touchdowns, 15.7 yards per catch. David Bell has 87 catches in 10 games. Garrett Wilson has 60 catches in 10 games. Like, is that it? Is that it? Like, that's just like, that's it. Stats, like the David Bell stats are more, and that's it. And I'm not saying David Bell's not good, but if we're having an argument about, well, people are only going by statistics, and they did, I mean, they just took, they just took two, three, and four, and it's because one got hurt, frankly. And if one wasn't hurt, he might, he only played eight games. Drake London from USC only played eight games, or he might have made it too. And then JMO might have been out. Like, is that just what is that's it? The power five receivers with the most receiving yards per game. That's where we are. I mean, yeah, I guess, but that's stupid because as impressive as David Bell's stats are, it's more impressive that Jackson Smith the Jigba is seventh and he has to deal with the fact that he's on the team with a guy who's 11th. And you said what, Chris Olave is like 22nd? Yep. I mean, the fact that all, all three of those guys shouldn't be in the top 25. Maybe two of them were like one's fifth and the other one's 24th. But you've got three guys in the top 25. Somebody between those three should be represented here. But, but you've got to think about people who are voting for this in uh, New Mexico and Montana and Minnesota and uh, New Hampshire. Like, what what are they supposed to go by? I don't I, I sympathize with that because I, I don't know how they're supposed to break that vote because they nobody can watch every team in the country every week and really get in depth on them. And it's hard to separate because, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the one that ranks the highest here. But if you're casual or you're even if you're in, involved in this a lot he's the one that you probably hear about the third most you know about the name chris Olave. you know maybe even about the name garrett wilson because you see them on those nfl draft lists but then you go look at the other list and you're like well statistically though that's not even who is ohio state's most targeted receiver most used receiver or whatever so i i don't understand that fans out there are upset and or confused by this i guess i would just say that like it's 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 a good thing that this happened. I mean, you you're benefiting from this happening. I don't know how else to say that. Like it's 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 and, and the other thing I would say too is, uh, it's it's hard. Let's say you have to vote for like the best linebacker in the country, and you're just going to go look at tackles or whatever, and you you you'd have a similar problem I think coming up with who's supposed to be the one that you. But there is like Will Anderson from Alabama this year, who's just like out there like kind of breaking it and announcing himself. And none of these three receivers has done that. Maybe it's, it's a different kind of position. They're reliant on a, on a different um, usage and different dynamic of the sport to get their counting stats or whatever. But none of them has like so broken away that they're the obvious one that you would vote for, I think. Okay. So I guess, I guess we, it's just, it's just one of those things. I get it. It's, I do think I, I would be in favor of like voting reform throughout college football in everything that people vote for, but I don't know. We should probably have the college football playoff committee who watches all the games pick every yeah. award too. Yeah. But Barty even said, you know, aside from watching the games. So, you know, watch games. Yeah. Forget that. I mean, we don't know what we're talking about. And, and it's like one of those things, like I, you get your ballot. It's like, hey, your ballot is due for the Davy O'Brien Award. It's like you click on the text that you get from the guy, 
and you go to it and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I got to vote for the Davey O'Brien Award. And then you vote. I don't go do six hours of research before I vote for it because they're not paying me. I do the best I can, but I don't know that I'd only go by. It's just weird because the the three finalists for the Davey O'Brien for the best quarterback are Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Kenny Pickett. So it's like it Pitt, makes sense. Pitt, but Pitt got its quarterback and its receiver. Pitt. And so did there was a there was a great and so did Bama. And there was like a great big wide hole for Pitt to drive to an ACC title this year. And then they're not doing it. It was like Pitt. We got to have Pitt in there. Pitt's got both. And you got to reward the Purdue guy. So I just. But you're answering yourself. You're saying Pitt got its receiver. Like that was the guy. That was the one guy. And the, Ohio it's, State, like, it's. It's less about, okay, the receiver part. It's the fact that the Davio, the Bama and Pitt both got their quarterback and receiver for the award. While then you've got Ohio State's quarterback and Purdue's wide receiver. So, I, I mean, I guess in the end, I understand why it happened, but I wish I wish we could get a a either smarter group of voters or we could just get people to think differently and think sort of the way that Ryan Day said, which is it's the best player. It's not just stats. Stats are a function of figuring out who the best players are, but it's not the only one. And in a world where Garrett Wilson is 11th, the idea that like, well, the statistical argument just wipes out Garrett Wilson. It's like, well, he's right there. He's right there. I don't know. So I would also say though, for any Ohio State fans who think this is like, some kind of conspiracy or whatever. Like last year, Sean Wade being the big 10 defensive back of the year and a consensus all American, uh, Wyatt Davis being a unanimous all American. Like yep. there've been other examples in recent oh, years sure. where, where it's gone Ohio state's way. So just, just kind of ride the, the roller coaster. I, I just want to say this real quick. I feel like all postseason honors from 2020, just like shouldn't exist. Uh, the awards. Okay, fine. But any of these like all American teams, because to Nathan's point, Sean Wade was on there because of the reputation he had coming into the season of what he might be. And then Ohio State only played eight games and they weren't really sure who to go with because nobody was playing a normal year. So they just went with the popular people. So I don't pay attention to any All-American honors from 2020 at all. But guys got trees. I mean, it's one of the things in they the did end, get trees. Like we can say it doesn't matter. It's uh, we're trying to win a national championship. Except like, Ohio State hangs its individual yeah. award winners in the football building. And if you're an all first team all American, you get a living thing planted for you. So Sean Wade's gonna have a tree, and Garrett Wilson is not gonna have a tree. There's a very good chance that might happen. Maybe, but we did they did add a third receiver this year to the all America, the AP All American team. They added a third receiver, and we added a. I say we. I was asked, but I didn't institute it. We also added a like a a utility defensive player. So there'll be twelve okay. on each side of the ball this year. I think it's a third receiver. I don't think because I think there was already an all-purpose player. Yeah, there's already all a running back and an all-purpose player. So maybe so. it's thirteen on each side of the ball. I don't know, but there's there's an extra. They added extra spots to the AP All American team this year. I know that because I do vote in that, and you do get these random email forwards from Ralph Russo, where it's like Georgia Tech All America candidates for like a three and eight team. Yeah, I Garrett Wilson might make one. I'll say that the and we had a discussion with the football writers at uh, All American team last year about the um, that utility offensive spot. Could it be a quarterback? 
And then I was advocating for the have mm-hmm. two quarterbacks because these all American teams still have two running backs. There's not a team in the country that yeah. has two running backs on the field together, but we still have two running backs on all American teams. So let's have I, two quarterbacks. The yeah. best players in the country are quarterbacks. Braxton Miller's not, doesn't have a tree. Right. So what, like, what, what are we trying to do? Cause we're, we're not reflecting how the game is played. The teams that people put out there. Now you said, if you add a third receiver, then you're starting to do that. But either if you don't reflect what offenses and defenses actually look like, then just do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Have two first team quarterbacks. Well, why should we do that? You don't play two quarterbacks. We don't play two running backs, but guess what? The best players are quarterbacks. And there's some of this stuff. You have to be a first team all American to get to be in the college football hall of fame. Yeah. So no Justin Fields, no Trevor Lawrence. No Trevor Lawrence, because we had a long discussion at the football writers last year about, you know what? We might be allowing Trevor Lawrence to get into the college football hall of fame someday. If we put him as first team instead of like, you know, dude who had one good year. So I think we made Trevor Lawrence the quarterback. I made that argument in the meeting. I know I did because we can't, it's, it's both it it like you can say uh, it means nothing. We're just trying to win a championship, but then there are a hundred ways in which these mean huge things. So then, why don't we take it seriously? And why do we just accept that? Ah, that's a terrible vote. Like, let's change something. Let's try to change something. And these groups, they're not. They try. They actually try because it's not like the Boletnikov Award. I don't think is four thousand voters. And they do pick people who cover college football every day, but we still end up voting on text in six minutes. And they really, we should have a meeting. We should have a zoom call and talk it out. Cause if we, I guarantee you, if you made it a 25 person committee on a zoom call, those would not have been the three bullet finalists. I guarantee it. So mm. why, why not? Well, because we would have had an educated discussion. Oh, okay, cool. Right. But that's how you get to a point where you start picking best player and not best stats. And that's why we went to a committee. If you don't like the football committee, it's better than the AP poll. Because one person by him or herself in a room leans on stats. A group having a discussion can, can get to best player. So that's what these, all right, I'm sending a letter. That's what these groups should do. This is and in a world where Zoom, I'm going to send a letter to like every group. In a world where Zoom is this easy, have an hour Zoom call. It'd be like a f- four-hour Zoom call if you were involved. <laughs> but you're right. It'd be long, but it would be right. <laughs> long and, uh, yeah, long and productive. Buckeye talk. <laughs> Every meeting I'm ever in goes three times as long as it's scheduled for. Yeah, it does. But at the end of it, you get some stuff done. So I, Three times I like- as long as scheduled for and two times as useful. That's, that's, that's there it the is. Issue. There it is. I'm glad you didn't go five to two. So thank you for only three. To two. <laughs> so there's actually no reason to do it this way anymore. Okay. We'll change the face of college football award voting uh, next year. That's the plan here on Buckeye talk for now. We're getting ready for the pregame show, the pregame pod, which will be out on Thanksgiving, but you'll have two days to listen to it. We normally give it to you on Friday. So we're giving it to you a day early. So you can sit with it, break it up into little pieces, um, figure out when to squeeze it in before the kickoff at noon. By the way, I hope we have a chance 
to have one of us get on it. And by one of us, I mean one of you two. So the, the Desmond Howard thing? Yes. I'm on it. I'll be there. Desmond Howard, ESPN is doing a conference call because game day, Ohio State's having, you know, it's going to be a game oh, day. Again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> last, last week they had Herb Street on a, on a call. And this week, instead of Herb Street, they're putting Desmond on the call. And we have a chance yeah. to ask Desmond Howard about winning the villain vote on Buckeye Talk. And I will be very curious to see how he responds to that. Because I would imagine he will be like 75% weirdly like, I guess it's an honor and 25% F those people, which is probably where I would be if I got that kind of honor. So, so you're, you're loaded, locked and loaded for that, Nathan. I have it on my schedule. All right. I'll look forward to that. So look forward for that to that uh, Friday afternoon on cleveland.com slash buck. I think it'll be tomorrow afternoon. Actually, I think it's tomorrow. I think it's Wednesday. Oh, it is tomorrow. So oh. today is the day you're listening to this. I think, I think it's on Wednesday. Uh, I think it's usually on Friday, but they're doing it on Wednesday this week. Well, it'll be up this week. Some point it'll be Look up somewhere. I will text. I will text it when he answers. Okay, good. Making news. All right. Thanks to you guys for listening to it. Text 614-350-3315. When I do the half-hearted, do the text an hour and nine minutes in, that's the least effective text plea. I don't even know why I do it. It's reflexive. But I got to do it early and I got to mean it. That was like just throwing out a phone number for the heck of it. Read us. We'll take reviews. Try the texts. Pre-game pod coming on Thursday. Have a good Thanksgiving. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.